This week's episode is with Tara. I met Tara a while ago on Instagram when we were both um, promoting cannabis-like related stuff. So we became friends. <clears throat> Turns out we were both in recovery and we both use cannabis in our recovery. So she had me on her show on Instagram a while ago. She does a show on her Instagram page, 420 Recovery, where she interviews different people about using cannabis in their recovery. I think I was her first or second guest. I'm not sure, but I was early on. So if you go to 420 Recovery, you can probably see that somewhere. <clears throat> um, we talk a lot about her and her husband and the runs that they went on together. You know, they met you know, when she was young. And, you know, he took her through the ropes of addiction together, and then they found sobriety together. And it's a great story. Um, it gives people a lot of hope, that's for sure. I really enjoy talking to her, and I think you'll enjoy the interview. Um, we were supposed to do it a little bit different. You'll, you'll see or hear us talk about, you know, getting uh, us, the thing getting messed up in the beginning, but, you know, we figure it out. And it's not perfect, but it's not supposed to be. It's about progress, not perfection. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Um, keep in mind, we also, we still are, you know, sponsored by BetterHelp. So if you're looking for help and you can't get a therapist, you can't get an appointment, it's taking too long, you, you know, your hospital is saying three months, four months for the next appointment, go to BetterHelp, um, type in our, our discount code, MJ's PNP MCA. That's like Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. So MJ's PNP MCA, where the link is in our bio for 10% off, you get 10% off your first month, and which is, you know, it helps. And you can get an, a, an appointment within two days. You know, you, you can't get that anywhere else right now. So I love them. I love what they're doing. And you're paying the same as you would with the regular therapist, but at least you don't have to go anywhere. And it's all like, you know, on FaceTime. So you're less likely to miss an appointment, which is important. So yeah, enjoy the episode. Yeah. Welcome, Tara. Thank you. This is Glad awesome. After <laughs> after trying to figure it out for forever, we got it to work. Um, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. I will tell everybody I have been on your show before where you do weekly every Monday talking about recovery in general, no matter which recovery it is. And I kind of have the same show now. So I was like, oh, well, I think you should come on. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. So how much clean time do you have now? So like I say, I usually do it in two numbers. Um, so I have over eight years since I've been like physically dependent, like since I've woken up dope sick. And then I have four years since I've actually used because when my husband first got out of prison, there was like some dynamics that just we didn't know how to deal with and we were used to using and so we used a couple of times before we, you know, figured out that that's not going to work either. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're about eight years since your life has been not managed, like unmanageable, exactly. basically. Right. And how long did you use for? Like ten years. Oh, okay. And your drug choice was heroin. Yeah, but there were like, there were. Well, like let's start. Right. Let's start from the beginning. How's that? So okay. what was your what was your first thing that you were like, I love this? Was it I alcohol? I can't remember if it was alcohol or if it was weed because they were both around the same time. It was seventh grade summer going into eighth grade. And it was just one of those things, you know, like 
everyone around me was doing it. And it was kind of like, oh, my God, like, this is amazing. I loved the way that it made me feel like I loved it. I fell in love. Like, I loved being messed up. You know, like, I love being messed up from an early age. Um, I was always like the girl at the party that like all like my friends could like get drunk. But, like, I would get drunk till I puked or I would get drunk till I literally peed in my pants or, you know what I mean, something like something super embarrassing would always happen. And then come Monday, I mean, now we're talking about, like, in high school now, but, you know, like, come Monday, it was, like, you know, funny, slightly embarrassing. And then, you know, let's do it all over again come Friday, <laughs> you know. And it's just that's really what high school was. High school up until my senior year was just a whole lot of weed and a whole lot of alcohol. Um, but it didn't seem wrong because everyone around me was doing the same shit. So it really I didn't feel like there was a problem. Um, you know, people would obviously say sometimes, you know, when I'd be drinking and I'd clearly be shit faced and we'd still have hours left in the night and people would be like, slow down. But, you know, that was that was really it. You know, and then senior year is when I got introduced to Oxycontin, and that was just a whole different beast, a whole different world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that once you're introduced to that, that and that was the cotton, not the codone. So right. you were like in the 80s and 40s and whatever. Like I think it was the 80s and 40s back then. Like yep. now they have like 60s and all that. But yeah, like and then were you peeling them? Yep, yep, taking the coating off crushing them like with all different like we had like the you know like the clamps like the you know we use like the clamps or we use like the baby we call them sifters but they were really like the baby version of like straining pasta or whatever mm -hmm. they're really yep. called I don't know what they're really called but you know putting the pill against it sniffing it and I mean that was that was my life my senior year of high school till my senior year of college and then by my senior year of college, I mean, I couldn't keep it up. I couldn't, like, before I was able to keep, on the outside, I looked like I was doing okay, you know. And the thing with, like, those type of opiates, like, those gave you energy. And, you know, I could study and I could do my shit and I could do, I could be this, you know, I was a full-time college student, a full-time employee, and I was, like, doing the dance, and a full-time drug addict, you know, and I was able to do it. And it's then so it's so weird about that because like I always got energy boost like I always felt like I was almost doing coke like yes. I I was like up I would be and I I don't think from what my recollection tells me it was always not really that it was keeping me up it was that I was withdrawing and it made <laughs> me feel normal and it like took me there but i always did feel that upper sensation yes. but then you see the non addicts you know they get prescribed you know a perk 5 and they take it for like their wisdom tooth and they're out cold right and then i'm like well i just did 120 milligrams just so i could drive right <laughs> cuz i would have been more dangerous on the road had i not done those 120 milligrams but anybody else would have been in a tree <laughs> making their first turn totally and i it has to be like a tolerance thing because you're not the first person to say that like i've definitely you know we talk to other addicts especially when we're doing it like like for me it was 30s i didn't have the i didn't have the uh patience to scrape <laughs> uh, the ocs i um i would always just eat them 
and use them at for time release mm. to keep me away from Witcher Alls for longer. Yeah. And I actually loved when they switched to the OPs, the ones that you couldn't crush. Yeah. Um, or anything, the ones that they switched to next, only because I knew that I would always just eat them and yeah. just wait for the time release and withhold withdrawal for a while because yours was OCs. For people that don't know, it's oxycodone. That's what everyone thinks. And mine was oxycodone, yes. which are very similar. They're like cousins. Right. One's just a bigger cousin than the other. Right. right. And um, but they do the same thing to you. Just one just would hit you a little bit harder, a little bit faster. And that was yours. And I just um, I, I, I didn't have the patience. If anyone doesn't know, <laughs> the Oxycontin pills had a coating on them that made them time release. If you took 80 milligrams, it released, what, 10 milligrams like every so often. Yeah, yeah. And it would keep you regulated. And then the oxycodone, it was just a, you know, for me, it was a blue little pill, 30 milligram, or the green one, we call them green monsters. Yeah. The 15 milligrams. And, you know, you just crush them up and <sighs> gone. And it was a lot faster for me. And, and yeah. I was always that person that when I'm withdrawing, the closer I got to the drug, the more I started withdrawing. So, yeah. like, when I was doing an hour drive to pick them up, the closer I got, the more I hurt. Like, there was one time I remember, like, I used to put them into, like, a McDonald's straw, like, drop them in and have the straw bent like that. And then I, <laughs> I would chew the side of it to crush them. And I would make sure they were all crushed up inside. I would extend the straw and just like that, just so I could do it while driving. Yeah. And not have to, like, have a surface or anything. And, like, the insanity of that is just ridiculous because I had a whole stack of, like, Wawa and McDonald's straws in my center console at all time ready to go because they were the fat straws. And I remember one time, like, I had them in my – I was withdrawing so bad driving there. And, like, we did one of those, like, street handoffs where we pull up to each other, like, window to window mm -hmm. and just, like, toss a pack of cigarettes to each other and keep going. Mm -hmm. um, so I pulled over right away to do them in front of some random house because I don't give a shit. And I am withdrawing so bad I was almost puking just getting them into my system. And I was afraid that I would just throw them right up. So I actually made myself get sick outside of my car, outside of some random person's house, in the middle of the day, with yeah. no regard of anything, just opening my door, dry heaving, making myself throw up, just so I wouldn't waste any of my pills on that first one, because I knew how sick I was before I did okay. it. The insanity, I don't know. Okay, so high school, college, you're up, you're doing oxys, they're keeping you up for studying, you're still working, yeah, killing like, the I, game. Yeah, I was still, like, doing all right. But then by, well, I shouldn't say that, by, by junior junior year of college, I was put on academic probation because, you know, now I am more consumed with, like, before I'd be able to make it through class and not, you know, worry about getting pills versus at that point, it's like, well, if I couldn't get well before class, I wasn't going to class, you know, it's yeah. just the way that it was. So then fast forward to senior year, I think that I went to maybe four classes, like, you know, I just and then by then I was thrown out. So, you know, at this point, my parents are because at this point, I'm I, my freshman year of college. I lived on campus, but then I was I didn't spend one weekend there because I came home because I wanted to get high. And there weren't like there I didn't have an OxyConnect at Emanuel College. So I couldn't find one. So, you know, I was coming home and. 
so I was like, this is a waste of, of money even staying here. So by sophomore year, I commuted. It wasn't even that far. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But, you know, now stuff around the house is starting to go missing, like money. So, and like my parents, like, they're not like, they couldn't imagine that I was actually like a drug addict. You know what I mean? They're like, there's no, like, there's no way. Like my mom was like super strict. And that's one of the first reasons I fell in love with Oxy's my senior year was because I was so sick and tired of getting caught and grounded because my mom was like a human breathalyzer. It would stand at the door every day smelling my breath. Well, guess what? The first night I came home high as fuck on an oxy, she didn't smell shit and I wasn't grounded, <laughs> you yeah. know? So yeah. that's why I first even fell in love with them because I was like, I can get rocked and not get in trouble and not have to worry about. So like my parents were super strict, so they just couldn't imagine that I actually was a drug addict. And then I remember one day I was actually with my husband. So my senior year of college is when I got with my husband. And I remember we were in a parking lot. We had just like bought some syringes because then obviously by senior year, you know, Oxy's like heroin to Oxy's the price. Well, and then what can what year was this? Because you're in Mass. Yeah. So I, this was, I was in Massachusetts 2006. too. Okay, so I was in Massachusetts in 2006, um, and I wasn't doing any pills yet, um, but I believe 80s were like 50 bucks then, right? They were, they were already like, climbing. Yeah, they were like between 50 and $65. Yep. Yeah, now they're like, you know, eventually, yeah, by 2008, 2009, when I started, they were a dollar a milligram. It was yeah. 80 for 80, yeah. you know? When I was in Vermont, I had gone to a sober house in Vermont way later, but oxys were a hundred dollars for an 80 milligram pill well and they were it's it's crazy yeah. yeah when i started with 30s they were 20 dollars a piece um which was a deal because i was spending 10 for perk 10s we called them bananas that's how i got started so like we were buying bananas but you couldn't sniff bananas because of all the Tylenol in it like all the filler you know yeah. acetaminophen whatever so we would never sniff them we would try to and then we get all stuffed up and yeah. like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's all gross so we're like we got to find another way and then like of course at the bar we found just a dude that was always at the bar and he's like oh yeah i have 30 milligram ones and they're really tiny and you can break them up and there's no tylenol and they're only 20 dollars. so instead of buying three bananas off me you can buy a 30 off me for 20 bucks that's a steal yeah. Yeah, and you can sniff it, and it won't hurt because there's no yeah. Tylenol and filler and stuff. And it was—I don't think I did tens ever again, unless like yeah. they were just like handed to me for free, and I was withdrawn, and I just needed to pop one because. Yeah. What's the point? Not going to touch me. I was. <laughs> once you start sniffing, it's, it's a wrap. Yeah, totally. All right, so oxy's were climbing in price, and then what was a bag of dope? Ten bucks. So around here, like, we always really dealt with, like, the cheapest. Like, once you drove to, like, Fall River and stuff, like, further South Shore, you could get, like, the bundles and stuff. But around here, it was, like, $40 bags was, like, typically what we would get is, like, a $40, a $40 bag. And it was just that one bag in the beginning lasted me, like, 10 times getting high versus one pill one time. You know, and it was just, you know, and I started sniffing it because, of course, I was never going to stick a needle on my arm. But, of course, I was never going to sniff heroin either. But then I got to that point and then I was like, well, if I sniff it, it's not that bad. It's basically the same thing as an oxy. Like, I'm never going to use a needle. And then one day, you know, we only it was my husband and I, we only had uh, one $40 bag. We we're both sick as shit. Like our habits had greatly increased. 
And it was one of those things, like, I wasn't going to feel like he was already shooting it because he had been shooting it before, like, because he had gotten clean before and, you know, relapsed and all this stuff. So he had had experience with it. I had none. And I was just like, well, fuck it, like, just shoot me up then. And he was like, well, we got to, like, you can't just, like, do this in the car like this. Like, it's your first time. Like, we got to, like, get somewhere, you know. And so... We actually had money. I don't know. Oh, his mom. That's what it was. His mom had gotten us a hotel room by her house. It was just when sometimes people would help us get shelter but would never give us, like, actual money. They're, they're not going to give you cash because they right. know what you're going to do with it, but they're going to put the credit card on the hotel right. where you have a place to stay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were still – people were still helping us out a little bit at this point. Um and yeah, and and so we did it there at the, at the hotel, and I remember being like, "Holy shit, this is fucking amazing!" And I never sniffed another line of heroin ever again. That's cra- That's not crazy. That's very believable. Um, I actually never have done heroin. Ten years, wow. I stuck with oxys. Um, and it was because of my own dumb brain was talking myself into, well, you're in control of your pills. You got this. You're functioning. Yeah. You're still working. It's 10 years in. You know what I mean? Like, whatever whatever years in, I was always convincing myself, like, you got the pills. They don't have you. You love them. And that's my first love. You know what I mean? Like, I wrote a breakup, breakup letter to them. I had a breakup song for them. <laughs> um, John Mayer, Slow Dancing in a Burning Room. Was my breakup song to pills. Um, Like I, but anyway, I was, I just wanted it. That's all I wanted. That was my first love. And I was not giving it up. And there was one time I almost did heroin. And it was because I was at work and I was waiting to meet my guy. I hadn't seen him. I, you know, hey, you there? You good? All the texts, no, no responses. And then my one guy that worked with me, he was like, hey, like, I have a bag in my pocket. Like, he used to go to Camden and score. And then, like, and I knew that we would always, we, you know how it is. You can see each other when you're both yeah. withdrawing or high. So we knew right away we were both, like, two of a kind. And so we always got along with that. And he was like, dude, you look horrible. <laughs> he was like, he's like, I got a bag in my pocket, you know. I know you don't like to shoot or anything, but you can go sniff some in the bathroom. You're going to feel a lot better. Like, even a little bump will actually make you stop withdrawing and get you a little bit high. And I was, like, uh, contemplating it so much. And I'm, like, still texting my guy. I'm, like, come on, man. I'm about to just sniff heroin if you don't get here because that's all I got. And then 10 minutes later, he's, like, hey, I'm on my way. I'll be there about a half an hour. So I was, like, okay. So that was the closest that I got to doing some. And I know, I know me. I would have done that. And guess what? I never would have touched ever again in my entire life. Pills. Yeah, you know what I mean? I never would have touched pills ever again. Just like as soon as you <laughs> shot it, you're never going to sniff it. Right. Just like as soon as I sniffed 30s, I was never going to eat 30s. Right. You know what I mean? I don't think I ever ate a 30. Just like ate a 30. Because why? Why would I do that? You know, I would do that with OPs because they would they can't sniff them anyway. But for the time release, Xanax, I would eat because... They would taste like weird sometimes to sniff, and sometimes the sniffing it wasn't worth the Xanax. I only this is bad, but it's the truth. The only time I ever really make, snort Xanax was when I was snorting it with Perks and with Coke because I was trying to stop my heart. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it was that was towards the end. That was like in the last like two months of my addiction. And I was just like, 
I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I'm miserable, and I don't... It's like, I didn't want to kill myself. I didn't want to die. I just didn't, didn't want to be live. conscious. Yeah. I just didn't want to be conscious anymore. Yeah. Like, I wanted to be asleep for a while. Yeah. So, turns out rehab was sleep for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, now you're in a hotel. You finally shot it for the first time, and this is five years into your addiction? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, yeah. Yeah. Five years into it. That was like, yeah. it, that was in the fifth year. Yeah. And then it was, it was And off. then it was just kind of off and running. Um, you know, I went to my first rehab. Then I went to. Oh, my- wait, back up. Who asked you to go to rehab? Though? How fast did you get? I want to hear about the first rehab at least. Okay. So the first rehab. Who asked you? Did someone ask so you to my go? Parents. Did you get off by your so, strict parents? Yeah. So. Okay, so for before I went to actual rehab, first I went to, so when my parents had asked me about this money, when I was, um, I remember I was in the parking lot with my husband and they asked me about this money, he was like, you just need to come clean to them. He's like, you just need to, to just like, he's like, you're caught. Like, I mean, you can keep lying, but like, you're, you're caught, you know? Yeah. And he was like, you know, my husband's 13 years older than me and he was kind of starting to feel like, guilty you know like um you know this young girl with so much but you know like he was like so he actually like encouraged me to come you know come clean to my parents and kind of see where we went but the answer this time was suboxone because he he was like one of the first that had ever tried suboxone like in the in the area and it had worked for him until it didn't but it worked for him for for a short time and so it seemed like the good answer, like, just go get on Suboxone. You don't have to go to rehab. We can still be together. Like, you know, how we are when you're in love and especially junky love. It's even, like, amplified, you know. It's just sick and twisted. People don't <laughs> understand the connection, though, that you do have with that other person that oh, you yeah. – that, like, camaraderie and, like, that kind of partnership and yes. trust. Like, there's a lot of trust. I mean, I, you know, I was in – one relationship, you know what I mean? I'll call it, I don't even consider it a real relationship, you know, just because I never say I love you, so I don't even consider it a real relationship, but we got high together. and yeah, we, like you know, running we, partners. We were running partners, yeah. yeah, and obviously that comes with some perks that a relationship would have, you right, know what I mean? Right, right. But I was also taking her to see people from Craigslist because mm-hmm. we needed money, yep. you know, and there's a certain kind of, uh, like, guys, there's, I know there's a lot of guys like, I would never love my girl, it's like, yeah, but there's also a certain kind of bonding that goes on between, like, two people when you have that full trust mm-hmm. in one another. And it's a weird trust to have because at that point you don't trust anybody and no one trusts you. Right. So right. that's all you have is that other person that you're using with that you can trust because if not them, then who? Right. Yeah. So I'm glad that, you know. He was like, oh, yeah, you should get clean. Like, this will be good for you. He probably, yeah. he probably did feel guilty. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, like, because, you know, obviously getting back together. I mean, I'm fast forwarding a whole bunch here. But getting back together when he got – everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, how do you even know? Like, you guys used to use together. Like, but it's like, well, yeah, but there was actual – there was a real relationship there. And we did have short bouts of sobriety together. You know, it wasn't like we just used together. And, you know, there it wasn't just that toxic, crazy, like, that was there. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say we were never toxic because we sure as hell were. 
Um, but there was, there was more there and he actually did, you know, care. So I went, um, so yeah, I went, I got on Suboxone. Then my parents were actually, so I'm 20, 21. Yeah, I'm 21 at the time. My 33 year old, 34 year old boyfriend is now living at my house with me at my parents' house. Um, and they're thinking like, this is what she needs, but okay. So the Suboxone lasted about a week of me actually taking it. And that's where we're getting high now back in the house. We're getting high, blah, blah, blah. And I think I stole my mom's ATM card or something. We went on a little run and then, you know, we came back to the house, puppy dogs, like with our tail between our legs. My mom's like, okay, like to him, she's like, you're not allowed in this house. And she said to me, she's like, you're not allowed in this house but you're going to sit your ass down there and we're going to get you into a detox type of thing. So that's kind of how that happened. I was at this age where I was still very dependent, even though I was like 21, I was still very dependent on my parents, you know, and I still felt like I had to do what they said at that point in time, especially like strict, like Mexican, Italian parents, like, you just, you just, even at 35, I still struggle sometimes listening. Is the, mo- is the mom Mexican? Yeah. Okay, I could hear like almost the infliction of when like, you're not allowed in the house and you yeah. you're, I could hear yeah. that more from her, like in that yeah, like, kind of exactly. way than the Italian. The yeah. Italian would use a lot more language. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like she was just like, this is how it is. But, and, um, and so I went to, I went to rehab in New Hampshire It was a very 12-step based, you know, like we did our fourth step in there. We did our fifth step in there. We started writing our list. Like it was a very, like you got to work right away type of rehab with the steps. I really loved it and, you know, bought into, bought into it at, at first because it was, it made sense to me. Like they were explaining things to me that like I couldn't, I didn't really understand like with the mental obsession and stuff that it made sense. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, like this shit does, like it does make sense. Like it, it made sense. Um, and so from there, my parents were like, we're getting you the hell away from this guy. So my mom's family is from Texas. So they sent me to Texas. Uh, I stayed at a sober house in Texas. Um, so my poor husband at this time, he's just, you know, all strung out, all sorts of fucked up. Uh, I'm, I'm still talking to him on the phone. I'm in Texas. He's here. And he's telling me he's getting clean and all this stuff. Fast forward, I'm there at the sober house about 90 days. He's coming to visit me. And I didn't know he only had a one-way ticket. I'm staying in a sober house. Like, there's, he can't stay with me. Like, you know. Um, So that weekend, we got a hotel. I drank. I don't even like drinking at that point. And... You know, then it was kind of like, okay, now I can't go back to the sober house. Like, now you're here. Like, what the F are we going to do? And that's when we robbed the first bank. That's when the bank got robbed in Dallas. And it was, you know, my husband just went in. I just stayed in the car. Didn't even really know, like, fully that's what he was going to do because I'm like, okay, like, I'm thinking it has to be a lot more involved than what it really was. Um, but it turns out it's not that hard, you know, no, if you're trying to do a whole takeover, that's like, you know, Hollywood, no. but yeah, no, yeah. I, I have an uncle that did three in a row, three Tuesdays in a row in his sixties Wow. when he, he got hooked on 
heroin in 2008, 2009 when he lost his job and then the shutdown and then the crash and, you know, somebody's been working the same place. And then, um, then like his son, my cousin got pretty bad on stuff. And then, you know, turns out we didn't even know, but they were using together. And, but yeah, he, he funded his habit for three weeks. Every Tuesday, he took my cousin's car, which not even the cousin he was using with the other cousin, (laughs) his other kid and taking that car and was coming back with money, but not for anybody, but himself and, you know, whatever, probably his son to get used with. We never even talked about it, but he ended up getting caught after the third one. And then he did five years and then he got out but he had heart problems he had like four different heart surgeries before that like he was in his 60s like so they didn't like throw the book at him you know he went willingly and and you know probably if you don't use a gun and all you do is hand a note then you get a lot less time right Right. so that's why he got five and then he's been out for almost 10 years now this was like a while you know probably actually it was when you were doing it yeah, it's 2008, funny. It's 2009. Time, I swear to God, everybody was robbing banks during that time. I don't know what it was like. The financial like my crisis. My brother was like one of my best friends. Like everyone was doing it then. I can tell you what it was. It was the same thing that happened back in 1929 when the stock market crashed in 1929, the Great Depression. What came from that is the 1930s through 33 was the biggest like error of bank robberies ever that's when bank robbers were like heroes people were cheering on bank robbers because they weren't stealing their money they were taking the bank's money yeah and the bank's the one that took their house so yeah take their money right so cut to 80 years later when that financial crisis happened everyone's yeah. losing their homes everyone's losing their jobs um opioids are really everyone's just taken drugs. off everyone's on drugs i mean pills were taken off that's when I started using was October 2008. Yeah. That's when I started using. Like, I've used before that, but, I mean, that's when I was like, oh, I'm in love now. Yeah. Like, I liked you before, but I am in love. I want yeah. you every day, all day. And it was – it's everybody was just in that, like, whatever. World's going to end. There's no money. Just <laughs> live it up, you know? Yeah. And that so that's that was always my reasoning to why there was this big, like, um, spike – and yeah. bank robberies in yeah, that time period. Okay, so now you rob your first bank. Yeah, so then we robbed, so we were in, in Texas, so then we drove back to Massachusetts because that's home base, you know, that's where our connects are, that's everything. So, um, Wait, did you fund your drive with the money you got from the bank? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we just drove straight through, like, we'd stop to get gas, like, but we drove straight through. My husband was withdrawing because you know he had gotten on a plane to come visit me so he's like dope sick the whole time um you know we get back to massachusetts call our guy and then it was just for lack of a better word like just two weeks but two really good weeks of sex drugs and rock and roll you know it was one of the worst times in my life but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't some of the best times of my life, too, just mm-hmm. because of, like, if we talk about the addiction to the lifestyle, that was the lifestyle to the fullest then. You know, yeah. that was just me just living it up, you know. Um, but the sad part is, is that we knew at this point that, you know, so like I said, I still feel very controlled by my parents. So we know, like, my parents are never going to willingly let us be together. Of course, joke's on us. Here we are, and they're happy for us. But back then, we didn't think so, you know. 
Um, and, you know, we have this vicious drug habit that just doesn't seem like it, like, didn't seem like there was a way out. So we were literally on this, like, death crusade. Like, we're, like, we were on a mission to die. And speaking of a gun, so the night before we got arrested, our drug dealer, who actually is an informant, sold us a gun for, you know, because, like, we were, like, we were going to leave Massachusetts and shit was going to get, you know, we were going to take it up a notch. Like, good thing that it happened the way that it did because it it could have, who knows what could have happened if guns started getting brought into the robbery. However, I mean, this guy got all the money from the bank. He got off on whatever he was getting, you know what I mean? Like, the informant, dude, he fucking made out. He made out, you know? Yeah, and, like, to sell somebody a gun, it's basically entrapment so that you're going to get charged with having possession of a weapon, too. That's what I'm saying, you know? And the gun is actually, like, the way that the the charge is actually... So, my husband has been in trouble for before and many times before, you know? He has a record. I had no record, didn't even have a parking ticket or anything, but my husband, so he got indicted federally because of the bank robbery in Texas. So for me, I didn't get indicted, but the state picked it up and the state picked up the gun charge in Massachusetts. That's an 18 month mando, no matter what, no, no good time, no nothing. Like you're serving that full 18 months, no matter what your record looks like. But it ended up working out because if my husband had gotten charged with that, He'd still be in prison right now. I was going to say, yeah, with his and a federal, like, they're just going to throw yeah. the book at him. Yeah. So. so with you, you're just getting the lowest one. And but, then plus, if you're both in jail anyway, it's not like you want to be out anyway. You'd rather be in probably. Yeah. Yeah. So he ended up. So when we got arrested, the day we got arrested, he ended up like he didn't get bail. He never got out until he got out the day that he got out after Mm -hmm. nine and a half years but for me like I got bailed out and I was out on bail for two years so I was trying to get clean was like in and out of rehabs the whole time was like trying to do the right thing but just couldn't Mm -hmm. um I remember they were trying to do this thing like with this hair follicle test because I was out for for two years you know and I remember it was like a, a couple of months before we were going back to court and they were like you know, look really good if you can show this hair follicle test and show that you've been clean this whole time. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, of course, both times, like, I skipped the appointment. So now, like, my parents are like, all right, like, what's going on? Like, all this stuff, you know. So, but long story short, the first time um, it was, so it was a jury trial, just a small jury. But the first time was a mistrial because they couldn't decide. And then the second time, so when they brought it back to court, like a month later, and the second time, I mean, I swear that jury was not even out there. It didn't even feel like 10 minutes, you know. But the, now the DA had the whole time to reposit, like, you know, redo their story. They yeah. said things they weren't supposed to say. But, like, once the juries heard that, like, they can't, like, they're supposed to throw it out, you know. But, like, they're in their mind, they're like, okay, so this is for a bank robbery thing. Like, there were things that they weren't supposed to hear about that they heard about. So it was, you know, I got found guilty. Because it's an 18-month mando, <laughs> I didn't have to come back from senti- for sentencing. They just cuffed me and, you know, took Sent me away. Sent you away. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be dope sick. And I was. <laughs> and I was, you know, incredibly sick. How uh, long did it last? 
a month. I swear it lasted a month. I swear. I know it probably didn't, but I swear it did. Well, you know what, though? But you were there. It's not like they're giving you GABA. It's not like they're giving you anything, you know? So you're feeling every little thing. Like, like for, I didn't use subs when I got sober. When I went in, when I went in detox, I was refusing Suboxone. I didn't, I was there because I wanted to be there. No one asked me to go. I wanted to go. So I didn't want it to be comfortable. I just wanted supervision. So I refused Suboxone and I just took the GABA because the, like the stomach hurts like that, that sucks. I hate that. But the restless legs for me are (laughs) way, way, way worse. And so for gabapentin, I took that because that calmed down my restless legs and it wasn't, you know, as bad as subs. Cause I, there was a girl in my rehab that was there to get off her Suboxone that she was prescribed the year before when she was getting off heroin. Yeah. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to have to go back to get off of another medicine. So I just said, I'll, I'll just deal with it. And it lasted yeah. like six days. Yeah. Maybe yeah, I mean, really the, the worst part was probably about a week, but I swear, speaking of legs, my knees was like the mo- like I swear it lasted over a month, the most incredible pain in my knees. Okay, so after that month, now you're getting through the time you have 18 months. Are you in Mass this whole time? In what? Are you in Massachusetts, yeah. like in one of their states? Okay. Yeah, so I'm at MCI Framingham. It's the only state women's facility that we have. Um, I was in the like the MCI for the first six months, and then I got classed, and I went across the street to like minimum security. Um, and I couldn't get a job because when you're on a mandatory sentence, you can't leave for pre-release. You can't do pre-release. But it was just more relaxed. The prison was mm-hmm. less. It was still prison, but it was less prisony, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. And um, yeah, it was. It wasn't that bad, you know. It really. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was. Once you find your crew, it's just like being in a sober house or anything else. It's exactly, you know? yeah. <clears throat> yep. So when did you get out? So I got out the November of, <clears throat> was it 12? It might have been 2012, I think. Yeah, because I went in June 2010. So, yeah, I think I was pretty sure it was. I know it was November, so I'm guessing November. Yeah, I think it was 2012. I got out, was clean for about a month, um, back to using, and then just like the whole cycle, you know, rehabs, detoxes. Now we're throwing mental institutes in there because my parents just can't fathom. Like you so have, you have up, you, not you, giving up, but like trying everything <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, they're like, there's something must be way wrong with you if you're continuing after everything you've been through. Like, you must be, like, mentally just, like, they just couldn't imagine that just ADHD and addiction would do the things that I did, you know? Yeah. And they thought it was so much worse than it was, but, you know, it wasn't. So I did all the traditional rehab stuff for a while, back forth, back and forth. And then this last time that I got clean, (laughs) I just... I really didn't, I don't even know my exact date because I was just so tired of changing it. I was like, I didn't necessarily know it was going to be my last time. I knew I was really tired of it. And I knew like my last three relapses only lasted a couple days because every time that I had relapsed, I was like, man, I fucking remember being in so much better than this. Like I just couldn't 
you know, it wasn't as good as it used to be like type of thing. And it was like, there's really no point to keep, like, I didn't have to, I, my rock bottom happened long before I stopped using, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I kept going back to something and it wasn't working anymore. Like that was my solution. It wasn't my solution anymore. It wasn't working anymore. And it was just, I really am a firm believer. Once you're done, you're done. And I was done. It, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't do it for me anymore. And yeah, I agree. Um, cause rock bottoms, they're really weird. Um, it's not necessarily in my, from me, in my opinion, I think rock bottoms are when we're done. Yeah. It's not necessarily like in my opinion, again, it's not like getting arrested. It's not robbing banks. It's not living in hotels or cars or whatever. In my opinion, anyone's rock bottom is the day that they're done because right. when you hit bottom, you're not going down anymore. So once yeah. you're done, that's when you start getting out of the well again and start moving up again. So yeah. like my rock bottom is when I surrendered and I'm like, just tell me what to do because I don't know how to live as an adult without drugs. <laughs> you know, like tell yeah. me what I need to do because I've been my own therapist and pharmacist for a decade and it's mm -hmm. not working totally. and I need somebody else's help because I'm not doing good at it anymore. And, you know, that was what I felt like my rock. Because you hear people all the time. Like, I, I got arrested three weeks before I went to rehab. And that me going to rehab had nothing to do with me getting arrested. I had already gone to my pretrial high as a kite before I went to rehab for getting arrested. Like, I had no shits given. Right. You know, and so I don't even consider that a rock bottom because it didn't stop me. It wasn't going to stop me. What stopped me was just the realization of, I don't want to do this anymore, but I need help getting out of this well that I'm trapped down now. So, and that's when I called high sobriety. Because on 420, 20, 420, 18, 